Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers. And I'm Megan Francis. And you're listening to a special series from the Mom Hour podcast called Pandemic Perspectives. In this series of episodes, we're talking to parents and people from around the world whose lives are affected by the COVID-19 global pandemic in a way that might not make it into your social media feeds quite as often. You'll hear from families on the front lines experiencing an unprecedented time in a very specific way. And you'll hear what's challenging as well as what's hopeful. We can't wait to share their stories with you. Welcome to Pandemic Perspectives from the Mom Hour. Hey everyone, this is Sarah, and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives on the Mom Hour. Today I'm talking with Catherine, a mom of four from Connecticut. So Catherine, thank you for being here, and tell us about you and your family, um, how old your kids are, and also what you do for a living. Sure, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this project. I live outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and I am an attorney at a children's nonprofit legal organization called the Center for Children's Advocacy. And I have four little girls uh, currently running amok. Wow. Um, (laughs) uh, Maeve is eight. Roisin is almost six. Fanula is three and a half. And Bridie is six months. Very cool names. Love it. Thank you. A little little bit Irish. (laughs) A little bit Irish. That is a lot going on in your house right now. Yes, always. So I'd love to know what your work life looked like before all this happened? We're going to talk about what's changed, but just to paint a picture, um, what were you out working in an office? Were you out seeing, um, seeing clients and seeing families out in the world? Were you working from home? Um, and what was the childcare situation before all this happened? Yes. It seems like a lifetime ago. (laughs) Uh, but what we had pieced together before, and actually since I had, I've been at this organization for 10 years, right out of law school. Okay. Um, And since we've had my oldest eight years ago, I have worked part-time. So I work three days in the office, um, which includes a lot of client interaction and, uh, you know, being in the field. Right. And then I work um, also four hours from home every week. So I work uh, 70% total. And in the work you do with clients, would you be seeing, would you be seeing children themselves or families or more interfacing with social workers? Paint me a little picture of of what that client work would look like normally in normal life. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So all of the above, um, the organization I work for represents 
low-income children uh, across a variety of settings. So we represent kids in the juvenile justice system, uh, in foster care, kids who are undocumented, kids with medical issues and disabilities, um, homeless children. Uh, so a whole whole variety, a whole host of issues. Um, and they're obviously amongst the most vulnerable right sure. now during this crisis. Yeah, sure. Okay, so that helps me understand. And then that brings us to what has changed, which I would imagine is <laughs> almost everything. So maybe talk about how your work has shifted to virtual and what you're able to do. Uh, we'll set aside the childcare piece for a moment, although you do have four <laughs> small girls at home. But just in right. terms of the work that you do, how has what looks different now? What does it look like? So um, I just got back from maternity leave about two months ago. Uh, again, time is so yeah. amorphous right now. <laughs> so when was that? Two months ago, I guess. Um, so I was only back about, you know, just over a month when this all kind of happened. So the way my work has shifted is that I obviously um, are interacting with clients very differently. Uh, a lot of our clients, again, they're, they're all low income. So they uh, access to technology is challenging for them right. and um you know just communication in general can be challenging and and of course during this crisis they have a host of other issues laid on top of you know the the normal challenges of of poverty yeah so the interaction has been different in in that way and obviously we're, we're very understanding but um it's it's just harder to connect and, and the work that we do is very personal and it's very yeah. deep and it's it's really talking to people about the the most difficult parts of their lives. And so it's, it's hard to have those conversations virtually. And it doesn't always feel, um, it doesn't always feel as sensitive as I would, I would like it to be. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, you know, technology is playing a really wonderful role in a lot of our kids lives with learning. And but when you really are talking about that human connection, it isn't, it isn't a direct replacement. Um, I'm wondering if you can give some examples, not of specific clients, of course, but of some kids and families in crisis that we might not understand, but the types of things that maybe are being just completely put on hold right now, or, you know, backburnered, um, things like you mentioned juvenile justice. I'm just curious, like, are there certain areas of your work that have kind of ground to a standstill or is everything kind of proceeding virtually? Yeah, it really depends on the different systems. So most of my um, individual caseload focuses on children with disabilities and okay. making sure they get access to services in school. Okay. Um, and so I do have clients involved with the juvenile justice system, and that does look very different. Uh, for example, you know, probation is working remotely, or um, most court hearings are are you know held off right now. Right. So that that does look different. And there's also a lot of concern about uh, children who are locked up in facilities right now because those facilities are being ravaged by the virus. Yeah. So uh, that's another thing that looks different mm -hmm. and is, um, is scary. And then so that we, we uh, every attorney in my office has individual cases and then we all do systemic work. So we all help write legislation. We all file systemic complaints on behalf of clients, um, a group of clients. And um, we all work at the district and state level. And so uh, a big part of what we're mobilized doing right now is is understanding the response and understanding the legal obligations of different players. Mm -hmm. So what what do districts have to do? Um, what does the state guide them to do? Uh, and so that's kind of what I've been the most focused on is um, making sure that my clients 
get as, as much of a quality education as they can. And it's been really heartbreaking. Yeah, it really has been. I mean, to see the disparity between I have a kindergartner, second grader, mm-hmm. uh, a preschool, a preschooler who I have done almost nothing for. But she's she's absorbing. <laughs> she's life. of preschool she's age. She's of preschool she's, age. <laughs> I heard her saying letters yesterday. Yeah. It's fine. Cool. Um, and the baby, you know, the baby, but, yeah. uh, so seeing my children navigate, you know, the apps and the logins and the passwords and the tons of programs. And I mean, we, a lot of people are complaining about it and it is, it, I, uh, it's challenging. It's very challenging for us. And we're trying to kind of navigate new waters. Uh, but to know that my clients have been sent home for weeks with worksheets, um, and very little interaction yeah. with staff. It, it just, it actually, you know, keeps me up at night. It really yeah. does. It, it really breaks my heart to see that they're in this situation. They're already the kids who need the help the most. Um, and I, I don't want to at all indicate that this is a, a deficit in the staffing or how much teachers right. care because right. the, the teachers care immensely. And I know they're doing their best in a total time of crisis that it has no parallel. Yeah. So I know that they're they're doing their very best, and I know some of the clients are you know can be difficult to to reach for all the reasons that we yeah. discussed, which are very valid reasons. But overall, the quality of what they're receiving um, is far far less than what my children are receiving. Yeah, I hear that. And how is the working from home with four little girls going for you? What's what's been what have you made funny. work like? You know, it's. I think my biggest challenge is not, um, well, first of all, I, I'm kind of like you and I'm a little, I love, I love routine. I yeah. love structure. I like numbers. <laughs> I like to know what I checked off my things. Um, but yeah, it's hard to feel a feeling of accomplishment or satisfaction, you know, to think to close up the book and to close up the laptop and think I put in a good day's work Yeah, um, because it's just so sporadic. And my husband and I have worked really hard to figure out the chunks of the day. So I get up earlier and do, you know, maybe two hours. But of course, between those two hours, I still have to feed the baby and, yeah. you know, deal with everyone running into this room. And also, you know, nobody else is up at 6am who wants to clients don't want to talk about right. right. So, so there's that practical aspect. Um, he gets the bigger chunks of the day and I kind of fill in the pockets and, and he's very, you know, very amenable and, and very understanding and accommodating, but I also don't want him to have the stress of not getting his work done. Right. Um, and, and so we really do have to go back and forth with, with the four girls. I mean, two, we have, I guess three of them still nap sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so that's pretty good. I mean, today yeah. we had all three napping at the same time, which is, you know, amazing. Uh, Un- your, next level. Yeah. 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 And then the eight year olds like, I don't care what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of people talk about screen time and we're pretty, we're a pretty low screen time house in general. That's really just because of the rhythm of our day. And because my three-year-old becomes crazy yeah. when she has too much screen time. Yeah. So it's not that like, oh, I feel guilty. I can't, you know, yeah. they can't have screens. It's that her behavior is affected for yeah. I have one the rest that. of us. I, ha- I have one like that too. So yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's overstimulation. Yeah. It's not good for her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the older two, I would, I would be fine with if they have more screen time, but you know, if they're having it, she's having it yeah. and yeah. Know, it yeah. all goes off the rails. So. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked a little bit about what 
feels hard both at work and at home. Are you seeing points of hope or is there are there little things either at home or at work um, that feel hopeful to you right now? Yeah, I mean, I obviously my I guess not obviously, but but my kids are playing together really shockingly well. Yeah. I think a lot of parents are feeling that way like, "Oh wow, they're they're pretty desperate." I mean, yeah. they're, <laughs> they're having a really good time together, you know, with sticks and leaves in a bucket in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's been awesome and um you know, that's part of the benefit of having four kids. Yeah. They have each other. And anytime someone tries to, you know, ask me a question, I was like, I, I made you three sisters. Yeah. That's just like what Megan says. Go find a Run brother. Along. What did I make yeah, all I these brothers for? Yeah. <laughs> I was cracking up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, you know, the baby is just an absolute joy. I mean, oh. she's six months old. She's like my little barnacle. I call her cause she's just latched onto my side. Yeah. And this is just the best thing that could ever have happened to her. Yeah. Like, she's just full of joy and anybody I see here as kind of like a home base because people different kids or my husband or yeah. I you know you get upset during the day and you, you everyone goes back to Bridie oh like, oh come come get a snuggle and I'll say I just need a snuggle from yeah Bridie. yeah yeah and it works you know it's a baby of course yes. it works yes so I love that's that. been pretty magical I yeah. love that I love that well, Catherine, thank you so much for chatting with me and for the work that you're doing um, for kids and families and for just taking a little bit of time to share your life with us. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. It's been such a highlight for me. Sarah, the stories we've been hearing and sharing as part of this special pandemic perspective series are so important, and they've really got me thinking about ways to help and make an impact. I know that right now our listeners are also eager to make a difference, so we're excited to share a great opportunity from our friends at Crisis Text Line. Yes, so Crisis Text Line offers 24-7 support from trained crisis counselors, all delivered via text to people in crisis. As you can imagine, our current national situation with people stuck at home and sometimes in unsafe or unhealthy situations, it's really created a huge demand for extra mental health support. Crisis Text Line is responding to that need by building up its base of volunteer crisis counselors, and this could be a perfect opportunity for you. You don't have to have any particular education or work background to apply, just a desire to help out and empathy, which we know our listeners have so much of. Oh yeah, and you'll also need a strong Wi-Fi signal. You can do this important work during nap time, after the kids are in bed or before they get up in the morning. You can do it in your pajamas, on the sofa, wherever you are, and whatever your home life situation, Crisis Text Line can accommodate you as a volunteer. Crisis Text Line provides all the training you'll need to turn your desire to help into the skills and knowledge you need to make a difference. It's actually 30 hours of training, so it's a big commitment, but you can be confident that you'll have the tools and information you need to do the work. This is such a great way to make a difference right now when we know so many of you are feeling helpless because you're stuck at home. Just go to themomhour.com slash CTL. Even if you can't get started right now, it's a good idea to go through the application and training process because we know the mental health impact of COVID-19 is going to last for some time. Applying to become a crisis counselor is a great way to start the ball rolling on a volunteer opportunity that could be really rewarding and impactful now and in the future. And if you're having a hard time right now and you need some help, you can also get support right now. Text GO to 741-741 and you'll be connected to a trained crisis counselor. It usually takes less than five minutes to connect with someone who can provide a listening ear. You don't have to be in a dire situation to reach out. Crisis Text Line really is for any situation where you need some extra help and support. Again, if you're interested in applying to become a crisis counselor, go to themomhour.com slash CTL to get started. 
Or if you could use some support yourself, text GO to 741-741 and you'll be matched with a counselor of your own. Again, that's themomhour.com slash CTL to apply to become a volunteer crisis counselor or you can text GO to 741-741 to be connected with a crisis counselor. Hi everyone, this is Megan and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives on The Mom Hour. Today I'm talking with Robin, a mom of two who lives in Washington state. Robin, tell us about your family and what you do for a living. Well, I live in a moderately sized uh, town in Washington State. I am an emergency room nurse. My husband is a firefighter paramedic, and we have six-year-old twin girls. Wow. So you're both really on the front lines, huh? Yes. Yeah. And, And in Washington State, there's been a lot of COVID activity. So What's been the biggest change um, to your current reality from how things were maybe a couple of months ago? Uh, well, I mean, other than the kids being home from school, the routine is the same. It's now that when we go to work, we aren't just thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about what are we bringing home to our family? Um, we're both having to like strip all our clothes off in the garage and throw them straight in the washing machine and and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's more of a mental load, I think. Um, because we just don't know what we're bringing home and the kids don't understand why they can't just run up and hug us as soon as we walk in the door. Are you, do you and your husband switch off childcare or how, how does that work? Uh, we actually um, just switch off each other. My mm-hmm. husband works every fourth day, a 24 hour shift. And then my job, I don't have a set schedule. So I just pick up shifts between his shifts so that we don't have to have any childcare. When we moved to this town, uh, we didn't know anybody. All our family lives on the west side, so it's just us. Okay. What feels hard right now? Um, homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> my kids are six, and um, it's just so very hard to explain to them why they can't see their friends, why they can't go to school without scaring them. I, we've already had a couple of breakdowns with the kids being scared that everybody's going to get sick. Um, and it's hard to explain it to them in their terms. And then just the homeschooling is, um, it's rough. We haven't gotten a lot of guidance from their school district. So we've been kind of trying to just do it on our own. And um, there's just a lot of emotions right now on both sides. And I think the stress of the pandemic is just, you know, carrying over into all our daily lives. So everything seems harder. Um, I think if the school would have been shut down for some other reason, like, I don't know, a flood or a fire or something like that, we wouldn't be carrying this emotional stress that uh, is causing everybody to be on edge. Yeah, I totally agree. And in your state, how long ago did the schools get shut down? They got shut down uh, the middle of March. Middle of March. So, yeah, the school thing is really tricky. And I, I also imagine, you know, when you're talking about this, um, this sort of stress soup we're all living in right now that makes everything seem hard, that's got to be doubly hard because you're literally going out into it. It's not even like you can just retreat into your household and pretend like it's not happening in the outer world, right? So what's that like for you and, and for your husband? Uh, well, <laughs> it's really stressful. Um, it's very hard at work um, because all of the staff is very stressed out. We're all worried that we're taking it home. We have a couple of staff members who are um, immunocompromised themselves that are having to uh, work somewhere else. But I mean, really the biggest thing is 
I don't even know that it's bringing it home to the kids. I mean, yes, I don't want to bring it home to the kids and we shower when we get home and all of that stuff. It's more of this just fear in the back of my mind that I don't want to die and I don't want my husband to die. And, you know, we've already made a plan for uh, what to do with the children when both of us get sick and, you know, we have to send them away. And um, it's just really scary thinking about those things. I mean, we had, we had, of course, already had a, uh, living will and all that kind of stuff of what to do with the children if we died, which, you know, that was always like far off in the future and we weren't worried about it, but this like makes it real. Like, mm. I'm so glad we already had that plan in place and like just carrying that around all day that, you know, you don't want your children to grow up without you. And that anxiety every day is very weighing. Yeah. Because I think when most of us make our living wills or our um, whatever plans we have for our kids, buy our life insurance, what have you, we're, we're kind of, we know that it's really just the very, you know, off chance that something was to happen. And now those chances are obviously increased. And not only are they increased, but like our feelings about them being increased are also increased. So it's just <laughs> so front of mind. Uh, yes. Does your hospital have COVID-19 mm -hmm. cases actively in it now? Yes, it does. I wasn't sure. I know Washington State was a was hard hit, but I wasn't sure if that was true where where you are um, as well. Yes, luckily we um, have not been as hard hit as Seattle, but we do ha still have a lot of cases. And I work at the largest hospital in my city, so we um, just automatically have the most because of our size. Yeah. How does it affect your your husband's job? Is he? I mean, as a firefighter and a paramedic. Um, is he being called to a lot of homes where people are in trouble and distress? Or is it more mm -hmm. like he's just interacting with so many people in a healthcare setting that there's a good chance he's, you know, being exposed at a higher rate than someone sitting at home, obviously. Uh, what's changed for his job is that um, before, if there was a 911 call for a medical, they all get to the house, they all rush in to help this patient. And now because of the COVID they're basically sending the paramedic in mm. first and not everybody else to make sure that it's not somebody with COVID symptoms. So that, that's scary because he is the paramedic. So wow. he's the one that's going in first uh, to make sure that this isn't um, a respiratory patient. <laughs> They're like, hey, hey, you go in there. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That, okay. I can see how that would be really stressful. Um, wow. Okay. So those are some hard situations. And, and let's take a look at the other side. Um, what feels hopeful to you right now? Right now, I know that this might sound kind of silly, but the weather. Um, yeah, no, that does not sound silly. Yes. <laughs> not at um, all. It actually, it snowed yesterday, but um, the weather forecast for the rest of the week is 50s and 60s. And I think it will just feel so much better to get outside and um, just walk around the neighborhood, have some sun on our faces, uh, go for a bike ride, just whatever, get out of the house because the last week or so has either been rain or snow and um, we all just feel kind of confined. You can only, you know, use your tablet so much. You can only watch so many movies. You can only do so many crafts. And I think we're all just really excited to get outside and breathe the clean air. I don't think that sounds silly at all as someone in another place that is finally getting into the fifties and sixties. And it's like, uh, it's the simple things right now. I, that sounds corny too, but you know, like sun on my face. Yes. Please yes. bring it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you wish other moms understood about your role about, um, 
you know, just kind of the situation you and your family are in right now? Um, I, I just, it's not necessarily other, just other moms, but other people in general, just to keep themselves safe, really. Although I do feel like, um, ever since this started, people have stopped coming to the emergency room for their primary care, which is a great thing. And so we don't have a lot of patients in there right now that don't need to be there. And I, I feel like at least in our community, the um, general public has had a, done a really good job of social distancing. So I appreciate everybody that's doing that for moms that are struggling out there. Uh, you know, we're, we're all struggling. We're all in the fight with them. This homeschooling thing is crazy. You know, I see them. I hope they see me. Mm. You know, we're all just momming it together, no matter what our job is. And yeah, stay yeah. safe. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, Robin, this has been great. We we really liked hearing your perspective um, and appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. We have so enjoyed getting to know so many of you and hearing your stories for this series. It's just really eye-opening to get a sense of how this is all playing out in different families and careers and communities across the United States and beyond. Yes. And if you've been listening along and thinking, oh, I wish they'd done a story that reflects my experience, here's your chance. We're still looking for guests to be interviewed as a part of the series over the next few weeks, and we would love to share your story. In particular, we're still looking for stories of small business owners and employees, retail, restaurant, hospitality, service businesses, people whose livelihoods have been interrupted and will continue to be impacted by COVID-19. If that's you, or if you have another story you'd love to share with us, please visit themomhour.com slash perspectives to fill out a short form letting us know more about your story, and we'll be in touch. Again, that's themomhour.com slash perspectives to let us know how COVID-19 is impacting you, your family, your business, and your community. We hope to hear from you soon. Hey, everyone, this is Sarah, and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives on The Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Kiria, a mom of two from California. So Kiria, thank you for being here. And tell us about you and your family, how old your kids are, and what you do for a living. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm a teacher in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I teach at a, a large, comprehensive high school, public high school. Um, and I teach social studies. I teach primarily seniors. Um, and my family, I have two small kids. So I have a daughter who is three and a half and um, a son who just turned one at the end of February. So he's about 13 months old. Um, and yeah, that's us. Busy at home. Um, <laughs> yes. I guess what I would love to hear you talk about is how has the last month or so gone for you being in, first of all, the Bay Area, which is definitely a hot spot. But talk a little right. bit about the transition to teaching and working from home and how that's gone. Um, I think, you know, a lot of these interviews are with people in jobs that we don't understand a lot about. I think a lot of us kind of understand the world of a teacher, but we're not we're not living it from your perspective. So talk us through that and I'll jump in with follow-up questions if I have them. Sure. So um, it's been definitely interesting, not something I ever thought um, I'd have to deal with. Um, so we found out about, I guess now it's been four weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually teaching. It was Friday. Um, and we found out at noon on Friday that we would not be coming back to school or the students wouldn't be coming back to school. So um, I teach multiple classes. Mm -hmm. I had already seen my morning classes <laughs> um, and was not going to see them again. And at first it was like, you know, the kids were excited. Right. Yeah. So they were kind of, you know, 
cheering like it was the end of school and they were happy. My seniors were a little bit worried because they didn't want to have to come back in the summer like a snow day situation. And keeping Um, in mind, just for just for our listeners, keeping in mind, this is almost a month ago and we didn't we didn't know we didn't have the context that we do now. I mean, I know for just locally, we thought, okay, we'll be back in a couple of weeks or we won't or we'll make it like you said, we'll make up snow days because at the time I live in Southern California at the time, you know, the state hadn't said anything. Anyway, I just want to interrupt with that context because, you know, of course, no one would be cheering today, but it was a very different world a month ago. So go keep going. Oh, yeah, totally. I think the kids thought for sure, you know, this will be a week or, you know, whatever, and we'll be back. Um, And so we left on Friday. I did pack my car full of stuff, but (laughs) a lot of teachers didn't because they told us we would be coming back. So even though our school is going to be close to students, um, they told us that, you know, take Monday, figure out whatever you need to do with your families. But then Tuesday, we're coming back and we're teaching from from our schools okay. and we're going to have training on how to um, connect with the students online and all of this. Right. So a lot of teachers left stuff at, at work. Um, and then over the weekend, that's when uh, the seven counties in the Bay Area were put on shelter in place. Mm-hmm. And so because of the shelter in place, the school, we couldn't access our classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, the students, they had to, um, so a lot of them were expecting to maybe get like rent out laptops Mm -hmm. from the school. Um, that wasn't made possible. So it was pretty shocking. And, um, I think it really kind of put things into perspective, um, and things started changing really, really fast. So, um, I know, I mean, my kids are younger, but at the high school level, kids are obviously Mm -hmm. using devices, using the internet regularly, um, as an instructor for you with, with like curriculums being, you know, mid, like mid unit or whatever, once you got Mm -hmm. used to that shock, were you able to kind of continue instruction? Talk, Talk a little bit about how that has changed or what that looks like. Yeah, sure. So the first week we were kind of told by our district, and I I guess I should preference this with saying too that, um, you know, a lot of the decisions that I think teachers are making right now, yes, some of it is up to us, but a lot of it is being given to us by our districts or our county Mm -hmm. or even our governor, right? And so at first um, we were told, you know, just kind of like do review for the first week. Yeah. Um, Because again, like you said, we thought we'd be coming back. Yeah. Um, and then that changed really quickly and it was like, no, we're clearly staying, um, we're staying home. And then, you know, last week we found out we would not be coming back at all. So I, you know, we all kind of taught each other how to use zoom um, (laughs) really, really quickly. Um, we figured it out. Um, so I have been meeting with my students online and and continuing to teach them. Um, they're not all able to get on. So there is, um, an equity issue. Yeah. Um, and while a lot of a lot of my students have computers, they are sharing them yeah. with, you know, siblings yeah. and things like that. So that's been tough. Um, are you keeping a schedule like is first period, first period, it just happens via Zoom or has that part changed? We talked about that as a school um, initially, but, you know, with my kids yeah. being one and three and having nobody else to take care of them, my husband's working as well. And he also has a job where he has to be kind of live. Yeah. You know, we haven't been doing that. No. So what I do is for my, I teach AP. So that's a important one to yeah. keep up with. 
Um, so for them, it's the same time every day. So every day hold class at 10 a.m., but I record all my sessions. So mm-hmm. I don't have every kid present um, in, in the class at that time. And then for my other classes, same thing. I'm recording at specific times during the day. But no, it's not like first period meets right. at this time, second period meets at this time. That's so interesting because I have I have a middle schooler and then elementary schoolers and that's not how their day works anyway, like, you know, mm-hmm. as much. But I was I didn't know at the high school level. So that's super interesting. What are you observing about the seniors in particular and and all of the high school ages? Like, are the kids um, how are they taking this? Do they have uh, a, a broader context for how their world is being affected? Are they worried? Are they um, are they just thinking about things like prom and graduation? I know that's a big you know, I'm asking mm-hmm. you to generalize to some extent, but I don't have teenagers in my house. I'm curious what you're observing about the kids and how they're doing. I'd say it's a pretty mixed bag. A lot of them are really sad about not seeing their friends. Yeah. A lot of them, because of the way we ended, are really sad that they didn't get to say goodbye to their friends and their teachers. Yeah. Um, they're obviously very disappointed about no graduation and no prom and no senior activities. Yeah. Um, so I've heard that a lot. Our counselors are still reaching out to students, so I do know that some of them are pretty depressed right mm-hmm. now. But, you know, then there's others who are just happy that they don't have to get up and go to school yeah. every day still. So, I mean, I think that it's a little bit of a mixture, but they are worried. They were very worried about college admissions uh-huh. because some of them um, didn't get to visit colleges yet. So they aren't exactly sure where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't get the chance to, to tour schools. Yeah. A lot of them are nervous about the high stakes tests like the SAT and the AP exam and things like that. Um, But we've heard that with AP exam, they're still going to be taking it. It's going to be slightly different. Um, But the SAT is not required for for most colleges now. Yeah. Um, So things have kind of changed and developed and it's gotten easier. But I definitely think that, you know, it's very different than when they were you know, cheering because they thought this was the end of the school day, right? They're starting to realize that this has implications. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for them. Mm -hmm. Well, and then let's talk about your life as a mom with a one and a three-year-old because (laughs) that is not easy on any day, but let alone when you are trying to be a teacher. Um, What functionally, how are you doing it? Like what what are the kids doing when you're trying to teach and, and how have you found a way to do that from home? Yeah, so I pulled my my uh, students and I asked them, like, you know, how's this going? And the, a lot of them were like, could you please not have us meet at 10 a.m. because I'm not up yet or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, that's the only time I can do it, right? Because yeah. that's when my son naps. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I am meeting with them when, when my son is napping. My daughter, unfortunately, gave up her nap right now, like yeah. right during quarantine. <laughs> um so, no, for her, um, she's pretty quiet and she'll just sit and watch a TV show or she'll, uh, you know, do like an app on my phone or yeah. something while I'm teaching. Um, but she's definitely interrupted, um, you know, her yeah. fair share. Right. And luckily, like, I think the students kind of get a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, but it's been tough. My husband and I every day have to go through our schedules and kind of figure out. And there was one day where. I couldn't get on um, because my son was not napping Uh and I had to, you know, send a quick message to my students and say, hey, I'm really sorry. It's probably going to be like an hour because, you know, my husband had a client call and they were very considerate and they understood. But it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, that kind of leads to my next question, which just is in general, is there one particular area that feels really hard right now? It could be work. It could be personal. But what feels hard? Um, I think knowing that we're not coming back. Yeah. When when they announced, um, I think it was last week, uh, the governor of California announced that, you know, schools wouldn't be coming back. I think we all kind of knew that. Um, but hearing it officially was really hard. I haven't, you know, is my daughter's first year of preschool. Mm -hmm. I haven't broken the news to her that she's not going back yet. Um, and I'm kind of, you know, dreading it. Right. It's going to be really hard. Um, but just hearing that finality of it was probably the most difficult. Yeah. Um, as a teacher, you know, we're people, people, right. Yeah. So, It's difficult not getting that feedback from our students and and not seeing them every day. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel for the teachers um, because, like you said, this is they're they're in this to make a difference for kids and to be around kids. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just not the same as as much as you all are doing, of course. But it just isn't it's not the same. Right. On the other end, what feels hopeful right now? Are you noticing things in your community or with your students or just in your own family that's giving you bits of hope right now? Yeah, well, I think that I've gotten a lot of really positive response from my students and and thank you. Some of my students made a video collage where um, they they all said thank you to different teachers, which was so sweet. Um, Yeah, so it feels like the students do understand and and they're really... um, they're thankful for all the work we are putting in. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the memes going around and stuff on the Internet about how much uh, teachers do and yeah. how we deserve to be paid more. That, yeah. that feels pretty good. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I have found it so interesting to watch the shift in the meme, meme culture around quote unquote homeschooling, which everyone was calling it homeschooling in the beginning. And now it's kind of like, no, no, this is not. This is not homeschooling. That doesn't do that doesn't give credit to actual homeschoolers. It certainly doesn't give credit to teachers like this is something else that we're doing. So um, totally a different thing. Yeah, it's a different thing. Well, and and I'd love for you to finish up by talking about what what do you want moms to know about teacher life or maybe offer a perspective from the end of a teacher that we're not seeing as as if we're parenting kids who are remote learning and we're not teachers. What would you want us to know? Yeah. So I think that the first thing I'd say is it's okay if, you know, your kid's not getting it right. Yeah. Um, we've already talked as a staff and, and different ways about how, you know, we know we're going to play catch up next year. Sure. At least in California, they're missing a fourth of their school year. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, I, I'm not saying don't do the work or, you know, just blow off the rest of the year with your kid or whatever. Um, I think that we all kind of accept and know that there's going to be gaps that we're going to have to work to fill. So, you know, if they're not getting something, it's okay. I think that there's a lot of kids probably in that position and a a lot of frustrated parents. Um, But the other thing is like in educational pedagogy, one of the biggest things that we talk about is the greatest thing you can give a kid is time. Mm. You know, oftentimes in public education, you can't give them a lot of time to, to understand a concept, but I think it's really unique right now. You you can give your kid a lot of time. Mm. Um, and so if they're not understanding something and, you know, you're working on a math problem or you're working on whatever and they're just not getting it, I don't think it's wrong to go away from it and come back a week later mm. or try a different approach in a couple of weeks or whatever. We 
we would love to be able to do that as teachers yeah. with each individual student. Um, and we can't always do that. But right now you have a really unique time that you can do that. There's a lot that can be said about that. So I, I think that a lot of parents are kind of focusing on, oh, my God, we have to get this worksheet done. And, you know, this teacher is giving us this homework or whatever. And my kid's not getting it. And I think most teachers would say that's OK. Yeah. Um, you know, if if it gets done in a couple of weeks or it doesn't get done, it, it's all going to be OK at the end. Yeah. As long as you're kind of trying and you're focusing. Um, yeah. That's all that really matters. I love that. I Our teachers have said or our school has said that these are and I'm just speaking for my school because not for the mm-hmm. whole state of California or the whole country, but these are optional resources to support learning. This is not right. This is not mandatory instruction. It doesn't take the place of school. It is it's resources to keep your kids engaged. And that to me, yes. that feels like this is like a menu from which I can pick and choose. Yeah. And I recognize. I would agree with that. Yeah. It's different for every family, but I think it's helpful for parents to hear that this is, like you said, everyone is going to be a quarter of the year. They're all going to be in the same boat in terms of having missed. So it's not about keeping up at the pace we would have been if we were in school. That's not that. That's not the goal. Right. Right. And like you said, you know, I've gotten emails of there's too much work. And I've gotten emails that there's not enough work, hmm. right? Yeah. So depending on which family you're talking about, everyone's going to feel slightly different. I think what teachers are trying to do right now is find that balance. But it's really hard because we're not in your homes. Right. And we're not sitting with your students. We don't know how long it took them to complete X, Y, and Z, right? right. And so, yeah, I mean, if you feel that there's not enough out there, um, I mean, you know, yeah, shoot your teacher an email. Maybe they can send you something more, but realize that, you know, for as many people as there's not enough out there for, there's probably somebody who's feeling very overwhelmed by what there is. I think that's such a good point. And it's funny because it's not likely that parents would feel the need to give you that feedback if you were in a traditional school year. But now that everything's everything's new and everything's coming out, like you're working on it on the fly, people people feel like they can, you know, give feedback. (laughs) Yes. Kiria, thanks so much for sharing your perspective today. And thanks for the work you're doing with your students and hang in there with those little ones at home. We just appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I love you guys' show. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening, and that way you'll get notified when our new episodes drop. Both the regular parenting and motherhood topics you're used to hearing from the Mom Hour, as well as this special series. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast episodes during this time, we'd so appreciate your support in the form of a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews help others find the show, and they help us continue to grow so we can reach more moms. We'll be back with you on Tuesday with another all-new episode of The Mom Hour. Talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. 
Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi everyone, Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button, and then scroll all the way to the bottom, and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.